this wonderful letter that Peter writes to the diaspora, the Christians who fleed out of their country, fleed out of their homes, went away from their friends, their family, and he writes this letter to them. For the last few weeks, we've been looking at the first chapter in Peter, and I want to continue today in 1 Peter chapter 6, a very, very important letter for us. Uh, You would remember over the last few weeks, I said not only did he write this letter to them, to the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, and those places, but he also wrote it to the Christians in Carrum Downs, Melbourne, Australia, 2019. And this is how wonderful the Word of God is. It was written back in the day for them. It was, it is, and it is to come. This is our Lord. And this is important to know. Richard, have you started the camera? Thanks. So, here we go. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Everybody say, various trials. Peter writes to them, he says, You've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes. Who would have believed that gold perish? That iron. He says it's much more worth than gold. If you say that to the world today, they'll say you are crazy. Gold takes us around the world because gold means money, mullah. He says it's much more worth than that. Though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen you love. I love that verse. Though now you do not see Him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. The end of your faith is the salvation of your soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the public reading of your word. And though I say no word from now on, I get in my car and I go home. I know for a fact your word has been read in public. And the Bible says that your word will not go out and come back void, but it will accomplish everything that it's been purposed for. So this morning, Lord, open up our minds, our ears, and our eyes to understand and hear your word. Speak to us this morning, Lord, through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to talk to you today about various trials. Various trials. And it's true that if you look at the picture on the board there, that everyone in this place is on a journey. We're on a road Some of us are at the beginning of it. If you talk to little Michael, the baby boy in the back of the room, he's starting right at the the end, at the beginning. And some of us has actually gone through and we've actually journeyed through our lives. But every one of us is on our way somewhere. Now the world will say that we're on our way to our graves. But we as children of God say we are on our way to heaven. Isn't that right? So here it is. As we are on our way on this journey, on this road, I like the sign that says, beware trials ahead. And as a child of God, do you know that that is true or not? 
It is so true. There is trials ahead. Now, as I say that some of us has already lived through some trials in our lives, and we can tell the younger generation how to be careful and how to work through some of these trials. But do you think they want to listen? No, a lot of people want to work out their own way of learning. And sometimes it hurts so much. So here, Peter talks about various trials. And remember the people he's writing to. These peoples knew trials too much. They have scattered all over. They're not in their safe havens, in their places where they grew up. Remember, they were blamed for a fire that happened in Rome. The emperor blamed them. And although, although it came out later that actually he started the fire, you can imagine that wherever these Christians went, and the rumor went about them starting this fire in Rome, people would be against them. People are against them because they are Christ, Christ followers, Christians. And it's the same today. You want to tell me that the world's not against you sitting in this room? It is. Everything this world do is against what you're standing for. You stand up for righteousness and the world says no. It's hate speech. You preach the gospel and the world says no, we don't want to hear that nonsense. It's going astray as it was back in the day when Peter writes this to the people. The word here for trials means tests or temptations or to be proven. And he writes to them, he says they need to greatly rejoice, though now for a little while they need be, they have been going through and grieved by various trials. You see, these people, it wasn't only the fact that they had to try to stay out of jail. But it was the fact that they couldn't work. One of the biggest fears for people today is to lose their jobs. Because if you lose your job, you can't support your family. You talk to the income providers of the world today and they say the biggest fear is losing my job, losing my money. Think a little bit about these people he's writing to. Not only did the people think they burned down Rome, not only did the people spat at them when they preached the gospel, not only did the people beat them with fists and rots and everything about this, but they couldn't get jobs. Because it worked like that in their day, that you had to go to the temple, the temple of Diana in Ephesus, or these temples, and you had to do temple and, and false god worshipping. You had to do that. In fact, some of these temples, you need to go in there, you need to bow the knee, and then you needed to shout, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is God. And if you refuse to do that, they will not give you a permit to get a job. Now, you say, wow, so what about that? The fact of the matter is, if you've got a family, and you've got people that you need to feed, and you can't get a job, what do you do? So many times these people were going without food. They had water, but they went without food. This is the trials that we're talking about. And in a way, it's the same trials that a lot of Christians today in this life is facing. Just think about it, what they're going through there. They could not work, they didn't have this, they wouldn't bow the knee. They were persecuted for what they believed in. And the New Testament is full of examples of people who follow Jesus Christ who's been persecuted, who went through various trials. You remember a man by the name of Stephen? 
He proclaimed Jesus Christ. And what happened to me in the book of Acts? They dragged him out of the city. He, as they dragged him out of the city, he didn't start complaining. He didn't say, sorry, 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 don't hurt me. No. What did he do? The more they dragged him out, the more he preached to them the gospel. He wasn't afraid to die. He was ready for these trials. And what did they do in the end? They stoned him to death for what he believed in. Various trials is coming their way. And here Peter talks to him. He says, watch out for these things. And let's face it, you and I are facing a lot of trials. Now, some of these trials is things that you cause for yourself. Isn't that right? Decisions you make and things that you bring upon yourself. This is not that kind of trial he's talking about, although we're going to touch on it this morning. He's talking about trials from the outside in, things that they could not control. Now, think about Paul and Silas for a minute. Were they beaten in their lives? for what they believed in? Did they go through a lot of trials? Yes. Listen to him himself. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, Paul writes this himself about himself. Now, when I read through this, I want you to put yourself in his shoes and see if you will stand through this. He says, are they servants of Christ? And now I'm parachuting into the scripture verse and you need to read the whole passage. He says, I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, more than uh, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I've received at the hands of the Jews the forty lasses less one. Five times this man was taken out and he was lashed. And it's not just a belt which they took. You know what lashes they use? The same whips that they use to, to beat our Lord Jesus Christ. It had these little strings and at the end of the strings they will put bones in there so that every time when they lash you, it pulls out a little bit and breaks the skin. Five times he was lashed. Can you imagine when he takes off his shirt and see the scars? And he writes about this. This is now Paul. He says... Five times last is verse 23. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Danger from false brothers. That happens a lot, isn't it? People who proclaim that they are brothers, but they're not. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. I find this fascinating. Think about this man. He talks about all the things he went through. And what is the thing that is more anxiety for him? The churches. The people. He's not thinking about himself. So you see that people went through various trials. I wonder, just wonder if we go through some of those things. I personally haven't gone through half. Not even a bit of what... I've, I've never been beaten for the gospel. 
I've been shouted down. I've been cursed at. Yes. But I've never been beaten to preach the gospel of Christ. Do you realize and understand sitting here how privileged you are? That somebody like a Paul had to go through all of that to preach the gospel? That somehow through the ages of time the gospel could come to your and my ear? You say, but whoa, wait a minute, brother, it's the Holy Spirit who, who blows like the wind. He doesn't know where it... No, no, no. It still needed people to open up their mouths and proclaim the gospel. God uses men and women to preach the gospel. This is one of those men. He went through various trials to get to this. But let's look at all of the disciples. You know, these men that we read in the Bible about. It's only one of them that died a natural death. One of them. Look at this. Paul was beheaded. The same Paul. For what? For what he believed in. For preaching the gospel. Peter was crucified upside down because he requested to be crucified upside down. When they dragged him to the cross to crucify him, he said to them, I shall not be crucified like my Lord. They turned him upside down, even more cruel. That's a various trial that he went through. Andrew was also crucified. Thomas, you, you know the unbelieving Thomas? I want to call him the believing Thomas now. Was pierced with spears. Four soldiers were surrounding him. And they took the spears and the same time they killed him. Philip died a cruel death at the hand of a Roman proconsul. What did he do? He actually started dealing with the wife and she was converted. She, she was saved. He preached to her the gospel. He wasn't afraid to go to the highest level, to the proconsul of the Romans. And the man was so mad that he had to kill him, so he killed him with a cruel death. Matthew was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. Bartholomew was killed for preaching the gospel. And James, James, old camel knees, that was his nickname. You want to know why his name, nickname was camel knees? Because of all of the calluses that was on his knees from all the prayers he prayed on his knees. Have you seen a camel? Have you seen the calluses on their knees? They called him old camel knees. He prayed so much for you and for me, for the church. They grabbed him and they took him on the pinnacle of the temple. It's a high building. And they pushed him off. He fell down and he didn't die. He wasn't dead when he, he fell down. Then they stoned him and still he wouldn't die. And they came around and clapped him to death. You think I'm giving you a horrible story this morning? Absolutely, yes. This is the worst end of trials that people went through to preach the gospel. So that you and I can sit here this morning and we can be saved by the blood of the Lamb and hear their account. Simon was killed after refusing to bow and sacrifice to the sun god. Exactly what I was saying. They took him into one of these temples and said, bow the knee, call Caesar his lord and bring sacrifices to the sun god. He said, I won't do it. And they killed him. John died natural causes, but he was boiled in Rome. John, the apostle John. They took him to Rome and they wanted to kill him. They put him in boiling oil. What would happen? You would die. You say, wow, he recovered very well because later on he was on the Isle of Pathmos and he received the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is correct. But I want you to do me, don't do this, okay? Please don't do what I'm going to tell you. I just said do it. But go this afternoon, don't do it, but go. 
and put a hot boiling oil on, on, on the stove and put your hand in there. Now there's a disclaimer. I say don't do it, Andre. You heard me say don't do it. Will you do it? But what will happen if you do it? How long will it take for you to recover from that burns? You'll go to hospital. You'll cry your eyes out. Every night you can't sleep. You can't eat. The pain is terrifying. This man was dropped in boiling oil. The Lord saved him that he couldn't die. He didn't die. And they didn't know what to do with him. Shut him up. Put a sock in his mouth. He wouldn't do that. So what did they do? They send him off to the Isle of Pathmos. Praise the Lord for that. Why? Because he got the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is in your and my Bible. Various trials. And here we sit in Karim Down. You know, when I hear people talk, I hear about their trials. And we complain about minute things in life. Oh, I went to the bakery this morning and the bread is not warm enough. I told them to hold one out for me. I'm going to walk in there. It smells good. Oh, the crust of the bread was too hot. I better talk to the baker. What have we got to complain about? Various trials, my friends. Things that you and I complain. You know, I want to sit someday. I said, Lord, please put a, a, a microphone or a recorder in front of me and record all the things that I complain about. Natural things in life. Oh, you know, I've, I've got to now jump on a train. What's wrong with that? These people had to walk long distances and couldn't get a job. Couldn't eat. Trials that they went through. And it's to them. Now, interesting that he says... In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. What does it mean when he says, in this you greatly rejoice? Now, you need to read the first passage before that. In what? If you're going to go through trials and all of these things that we're looking into, what is the one thing that's going to give you that living hope? It is right there in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I can think that these men, when they went through all of these difficult things, and when they beat them, and they bring Paul out, and they lash him, 1 minus 30, and they lash him, and they hit him with, sto with, with sticks, and throw him with stones, that he sits there and he goes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You know what? It takes you out of the situation. Stephen, they threw the first stone and he looks, he says, I can see in heaven and he says, I see Jesus standing on the right hand of the Father. Amen? You see, these men had something that we need to learn about. And that is that when we go through our trials, not to look around us, not to go to all of the other chickens around us and ask them where to pick the right corn. No, no, no. We ask, we look up into the sky and we say, blessed be the Lord God of our heavenly Father. Amen? Amen? Why don't I hear hallelujahs about that? Because the world teaches us, in indoctrinating us, that we need to find the help in ourselves. Isn't that right? But the help cometh from Him, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. David was praying it in his prayer this morning, living hope. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. In what do you and I rejoice? In our living hope. Change our lives as much as you want to change it around here. But we've got a living hope. 
And that is what? Through the resurrection of Jesus, it is an inheritance incorruptible and defiled. It can't fade away. It's reserved in heaven for us who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in time. Amen. That's what we rejoice in. Are you rejoicing in that? How is it then that I find Christians walking like, the world is upon my shoulders? Rejoice! In Philippians, Philippians, Paul says rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. You've got something that the world haven't got. What do we have? We've got Christ. Now, just briefly, there's three results of trials that Peter is touching in this passage. First of all, the grief of trials. Have you noticed that? He says there in that verse, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. And also we're going to look at the purpose of trials and the joy of trials. You know, it's important to grieve. God gave us grieving. Now, we live in a world, and I, I know little boys grow up and you run so fast as you can and you slip over and you knock your knees and the blood's coming out. And what is mommy always coming to do? Okay, little one. And she goes on and you cry and you scream as the whole world is ending. But what is dad saying? Get up there. Don't cry. Be tough. Isn't that right? Tough boys don't? Yeah. Tough boys don't cry. So that's what we teach, and that's how we grow up. But here, the Lord has given us a sense of grieving. These trials, it also teaches one thing, and that is that these trials that they are going to go through is going to give them grief. They're going to cry from this. It might be that some of their loved ones are killed because of the gospel, and it brings grief upon them. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? Sit here. Let's be honest this morning. Are you ready for that? It is really great in Australia now. It's great in New Zealand. It's great in the Western world. But as you can see, how the world and the left side of the world, if it presses down upon it, it's going to persecute more. It's going to persecute. Are you still going to stand? If they start going to say you're going to lose your job, if you proclaim Jesus Christ, you will lose your job. Will you give up your job? Don't quickly shake your head, yes, I will. Don't quickly do that. Well, let's take it one step further. What, what if Australia uh, bring a law and say you cannot, you cannot practice Christianity anymore? Do you think it's impossible that it will happen in this country? Do you think it's impossible? Then we have to come, you know, maybe we'll go to uh, John's house and we say, let's blank out the window so that nobody sees who's there. And we get in together. We can't sing as loud as we sang this morning. We can't hallelujah and jump up and down and say, joyful, joyful will the meeting be. All these songs we take so for granted. All of them. What if there's a time that we can't even sing them loud because people will hear that and they will send the police in and they will arrest us. They will take me first into the jail. They'll beat me to bits. And then they'll grab you and they'll grab me. You say, that's fine, take me. I can take the blows. Believe me, I can take the blows. But what if they take your little beloved child or your daughter or your wife? What are you going to do? Let's come back to reality here. This is what we're talking about here. And now he says to them, 
that, you know, that you've been grieved by this. Now, have a look at this. He says, for a little while. Have you noticed? For a little while. For some of these people, that little while stopped the day when they died and were with Christ. Now, let's have a look at this. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, I've been grieved by various trials. The word for various trials there means multicolored. Have you seen something multicolored? You see one color, and then you see another color, and while you see that color, it's like the rainbow colors. You see all of these colors. That's the idea of that word there. So that means that these trials will come from everywhere. You don't know where it's going to come from. It can't come from your best brother or sister. This is where the trial comes from. Now, James writes about the same thing. I want to touch on this. He says in James chapter 1, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. See the same thing. He used the same word of many colors. Now, James says, like Peter, he says, Count it joy. When you come into these trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produce what? Patience. Patience. And this is important to know. He says it, it produces patience. But let the patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You see, the thing about this word patience is, I don't believe it's the right word there in English. In, in patience, we just think it's going to make us patient. But what it means, it's way more than that. It means that it, it just keeps on going on and we are waiting. It, it means that we are, can wait a little bit longer before we see the end of the trial. In James chapter 1 verse 2, now I want you to look at this now. He says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. He uses the word now there, temptation, English translation. And by the way, you and I know that we've got a translation. The, the English Bible is a translation of the Greek. And Greek has got so many different words that we can only find one word to try to explain what they say. I'll show it to you in a second. For when we have been proved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, this is important, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desire and enticed. Then when he desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Now the word that he uses for trials there is the word perasmos. Perasmos in Greek. You say, so what? Hang in there. Perasmos. There's another word in Greek that also explains the same thing. It's perazo. Now when we look at this, when Peter talks to them, he uses the word perasmos. Every time when James talks about it, he talks about perasmos. And there he uses Pirasmos and Pirasmos. But when James explained to him, he says, let no one say that when he's tempted that I'm tempted by God, he uses the word Pirazo. You say, wow, this is now Greek language here, man. Come on, what, what are you trying to say, preacher? This is so great. This is fantastic. Because we learn something more about trials. You see, some trials will bring the good out of you and some trials is bad. It brings the bad. 
This is the difference between the two. Again, I say some trials is for the good. Some trials will test your character and it will strengthen your character. Other trials, which is led by temptation, will do what? It will bring you down into the bad, into the dark place, into sin. This is what it's all about. So when you talk about the one is a verb and the one is a noun, when it goes to the one, it is the one that Satan uses and our flesh uses and it's temptation. When temptation come your way, you need to withstand temptation. Temptation is not a sin. But coming to the end of the temptation is a sin. This is what James says here. Let me explain to you. Uh, some of you heard me using this example, but I'm going to use it as, again. So you invite me to your house. We sit down and you put some nice juice on the table. But man, you had these pure crystal glasses that you put the juice in. You made sure. You said, honey, we take out the crystal glasses when these people come. They're important people. I'm not, but anyway, this is how it goes. So as we sit down and I see this glass there, it is so beautiful. It is a pure crystal glass. And I'm a collector of glasses. I go, man, I like this glass. I want this glass. The problem is you've got a set of six. You're not going to give me that glass, are you? Even if I ask you. But I want it. Now where's the temptation now? I'm tempted now. So I make sure that I drink out of it. When I touch the glass, it feels so good, man. I feel this is the pure, this is the true thing. And I ask you a lot of questions about it. Where did you get these glasses? Oh, it was expensive. Yeah, very expensive. Oh, beautiful glasses. And then the night continue on. And I make sure when I finished it, I just quickly slipped it in there. Now, I've got a problem now, you know, because there's a little bit of a bolt sitting under there. But I tried to cover it up. This is what sin do, by the way. Sin shows for other people to see, but you can't see it. Isn't it right? People see that, and you go, the more you try to cover it, but the glass is in there. You see, the temptation now led to what? I need to have this, and now I've got it. I still got the chance now to pull it out and say, oh, I was just cleaning it for you. I was just rubbing it in there. I still got the chance, but I'm not going to do that. And now I take the glass home. You see, friends, let me explain something to you about this verse. He says, he says, if we endure temptation, we will get the crown of life. He says, let no one be tempted. God will not tempt you with this. God is not using temptation to bring the bad out of you. When God allows testing in your life, it is to bring your character up and strengthen it. But temptation, what I've just explained to you now, he says, no, no. He says, he does himself tempt no one, but each one is tempted. I saw the glass. I love the glass. I wanted to have the glass. When he's drawn away by his own desires, there is the desire. Can you see it? And now I'm enticed. I work out plans. How can I take this thing without you knowing it? This happens to everybody. I'm using a simple example. Any sin you can put into this thing. And now I'm enticed. Then, everybody see the word then? That is a big theological word. No, it just means then. Then when desire has conceived. When did it conceive? When I took the thing. That's when sin happens. When I took the thing, it gives birth to what? To sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth what? 
death. Now let me explain to you. You and I were very good mates. We come from really a long distance in your life. We build up a rapport. We are good friends. Our relationship is alive. Is it right? But now I've taken the thing, I've walked out, and when you came to me at the front door, you wanted to give me a hug to say goodbye. Like we always used to do, I sort of pushed you a little bit back. Because I'm afraid you're going to see this thing is really hard right here. And I come and say, okay, okay, see you, bye, see you. And I go home now. Now we've had a live conversation, uh, uh, relationship. But now I'm thinking, they're going to count the glasses. What's going to happen? Six minus one is five. And you see, this is how sin works. It happens with me. My mind can't stop now. It's racing around now. What if they count the glasses and found there's one missing? Duh, there is going to be one missing. It's so clear. Six minus one is five. Now, what if they realized when I took it? What, what, what? And you know what it does? It kills that relationship. So next time that friend walks down the front, you know, you're on the same pathway, walking up in the shops, looking in the shops, you say, oh, there's my friend. What happened in the past? Hey, how are you? Oh, great, you walk over there and, you know, hi, he's doing. But now, what happens? What if they know that I've taken their glass? I'll tell you what happens. Now you see them and you go, oh, there is those people are into the shop. And then you hide behind. You say, hopefully they walk past and don't see me. Am I right? You see, the word of God is so true. Because once it enticed, it brings forth death. This is a simple death in a relationship. But way beyond that, in spiritual sense, when we go back to the Garden of Eden, what happened? He said, if you will eat of that tree, you will surely die. And then, when Eve stood there, Adam stood there, and what happened? She ate of the fruit, and he looked at it, and she didn't die. See, and then he took the fruit, and what happened? The relationship between them and God died, spiritually. Now, let's see quickly a few examples. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. This is where it came out good. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned to the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And for 40 days he's been tempted. Perazo. He was being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were entered, he was hungry. And then the devil said to him, If you the Son of God, this stone, make it a bread. And Jesus answered and said, It is written, A man shall not live by bread alone. You see, he didn't conceive. He took him onto a high hill and shows him the kingdoms of the world. And he says, if you worship me, I'll give you everything. And that's the same today. He says the same story to you and me. And then he took him to the top of a temple and he says, fall off and the angels will catch you. And he says, you will not tempt the Lord. This is what he does. But let me show you one where it went bad. In Acts chapter 5, people were selling everything and bringing it to the church. But a man by the name of Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it on the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back what is your part and the proceeding of the land? You see, he was tempted to hold back. Jesus 
was tempted, but he didn't. And this is why I say temptation is not a sin. It is conceiving that makes it a sin. Jesus was also tempted, but it was conceiving. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. You see, we need to test ourselves. Or do you not realize that about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. You and I are told to test ourselves. Oh man, we're going to get this. Don't you worry about it. The world will test us. But we need to test. And you know what's going to be tested? Our faith. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond the ability. But with temptation, He will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You see, some temptations God allows in your life. What to do? It will build your character. It will build your character. Now, let's quickly look at the purpose of trials. Why do we go through trials? It's right there. He says, now that you go through various trials, that the genuineness of your faith may be found to be praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, it shows us the genuineness of our faith, firstly, and secondly, it may be found to be praise, honor, and glory at our Lord Jesus Christ. Tests is good because it tests our faith. You say, I'm going through this thing now. I don't know what tomorrow brings. This is a trial for me. I know, and God knows. But you know what He wants? He wants you to stay faithful. He wants your faith to be built. It is like this example of, of gold. I don't know if you've seen gold, but I come from South Africa in a mining town, and I've seen where they, where they take gold and they melt it, and they heat it up even more. And then there's this rubbish that comes to the top, and they skim it off. And what is behind? It is the pure gold. You see, you and I will go through tests to make us pure before the Lord. And it's the same for as of these people. And the purpose of trials, James says the same thing. He says we need to count it all joy when we meet trials and tests. And then finally this morning, he talks about the joy of trials. The joy of trials. Who believe there can be joy in trials? You know, it's like saying, oh, bring it on. Bring on those trials. Will he do that? I'm not foolish to say that. No. But I love it when he ends this way. In verse 8, he says, whom having not seen, you love. We love Christ. Have you seen Christ? We haven't seen Him. We see Him in people, the Holy Spirit, and our people's lives change. But we love Him. Though now you do not see Him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So what am I saying this morning, brother and sister? I know that some of you are going through trials. I mean, I go through trials as well. Some trials people talk about. But this is what it is. That some trials will, will build your faith. You say it's impossible to think about that. But what it needs to happen is to hold on, to lift your eyes to heaven and to say, Blessed be the Lord God of our Lord Jesus Christ and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Because these trials has got a purpose. Nothing happened by chance. I always say to people, I say, look, if you belong to God, He will not let anything happen to you until He gives you the approval. And we look in the book of Job. And the book of Job is a classic example. It is not as if Satan came to the Lord and said, I saw your agent or your, your servant Job. No, no. What happened? God said to him first, He said, have you behold my servant Job? And what did Satan say? He says, yes, of course I know Job. He says, but the problem here is, you have built a hedge around him so that I can't touch him. We need to learn from that. And what did God say? He said, okay, you can test him. Go ahead. And what happened to Job? In one day, he lost everything. Every single thing he had. In one day. And not only that, you know, we studied through the book of Job uh, last year, you would remember. Not only that, his wife comes to him. And she said, curse God and die. She went through the same trials. But what did Job say? He said, shall I, when it was good, serve God and now curse him when it's going bad? Yet a lot of Christians do that. I deal with people, they come and they say, oh, I'm going through this difficult thing, I'm going to lose my faith. And I go, what? Did you have faith for a start? This is supposed to build your faith. Now this is the thing. I don't know what trial you're going through. I don't know what plans you've got. Put those plans to Christ and go into His peace around that. And see, seek and search for Him for guidance and wisdom in that. And sometimes the answer that He gives you might not be the answer that you want. It might not be the answer that you want. I would want to say maybe 99.9%. If you are selfish, it's not the answer that you want. And you know what you need to do? If he comes to you and he says no, what do you need to do? Then you accept no. You don't press against that door. Because friends, you will make a decision out of emotions and you will come in a situations which you cause for yourself and you will blame God. Now I want to finish. I, I just came up in my mind. I want to open up in my Bible in the scripture verse. And hopefully, I don't know why it's just come up, but I want to read it to you. Psalm 81. Psalm 81. If we go to the Lord and we ask Him wisdom and guidance, and we say, Lord, we understand the trials in your lives and all of these things, and He says to you and to me, He says, my child, you want to say yes, but I say wait or I say no. Let not your temptation then push you to do something that God don't want you to do. Am I clear with that? You understand what I'm saying? Now let me give you the scripture verse. In Psalm 81, and, and in verse 8, I'm going to start reading from verse 8. He says, Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you will listen to me. Can you hear what he says? O Israel. It's like a parent which warns his children. He says, do not go down that way. And they keep on pushing towards that way. And he comes to the point and say, oh, listen to me. This is the same effort here. And he goes on to say now, he says, there shall be no foreign God among you. In other words, get rid of these foreign things in your life. Nor shall you worship any foreign God. I am the Lord your God. 
who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. That talks about God's purpose, protection, prosperity, everything in your life. It comes from God. Everything I've got, friends, belongs to Him. Nothing belongs to me. You say, oh, but you're driving a nice Land Rover out there. Wow, man, that's... It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God. It's His. He only gave me a privilege to have what I have. My wits that I've got in my mind. My energy, my strength, my health, everything falls together and He protects it. Why would I want to go against that now? He says, listen, listen. He says, open your mouth and what will happen? I will fill it. I will fill it. The biggest problem today is people want to fill their own mouths. There's a whole message behind it, but I'll leave it for now because I'm out of time. Now, this is the part now. He says, but. What does but mean? <laughs> Let me read the first verse again, okay? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. That means out of sin. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But. Sharp contrast. My people would not eat my voice. And Israel did not have none of me. So what's going to happen now? You are, just listen to me. You are pushing so hard against that. You're pushing so hard against that. You're pushing so hard against that. God said no. Or he says wait. He says wait. But you are so impatient. Temptation pushes you on. And what happens now? You go, but. He says my people will not hear my voice. Now I want you now to listen because this is the, this is the key. He says, so I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsel. That's a place you don't want to be in. That's a place you don't want to be in. Because God will not force you to follow Him. But you will bear the consequences of not listening to Him. So here is the thing. Uh, can somebody just call my wife and says, we're ready to sing. Listen, listen now carefully. <clears throat> he says, be joyful for various trials will come your way. What does trials need to be? It needs to sustain and build your faith and give us joy and give us the hope of God. But what do we do? In trials we say, oh Lord, take us out of this. I don't like this. Throw a tantrum. I don't like this. Take me out of this. Take me out of this. God says, no, 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 no. I'm going to keep you right there in the middle of that trial because I want you to learn something from this. It's not as if God is sitting there and He goes, hmm, I don't know how they're going to react out of this. Let's, let's allow a trial in their life and let's see how they react. And then people react and He goes, oh, I didn't expect that. It's not as if God is doing that. God knows exactly how you are going to react. But he allows these trials in your and my life to show us how we're going to react. To show us how strong our faith is. If your faith is starting to shake, then you need to call on God and say, Lord, my faith is not strong enough. And you know what he will do? He will say, open your mouth and I will fill it. I gave you the scripture verses this morning. 
But the problem here is, take me out of this, Lord, take me out of this. And in the middle of that position, you make an emotional decision. I say never make decisions when you're emotional. Why? Because emotions is driving that. Not clear thinking. Now you make the decision. Tomorrow you run into problems because of that emotional decision you made. And what happens now? The Lord says, man, if you're not going to listen to me, I'll give you over to your own stubborn heart and you continue your own ways. And guess what's going to happen? Maybe not a week from now. Maybe not six months from now. Maybe not a year from now. Maybe two years from now. You're going to come back to the Lord and say, Lord, you were right. And I was wrong. I should have listened. I endured all this pain for two years now. Because I would not heed your voice. Have we learned something this morning? Various trials. Various trials. I told you two weeks ago, we are only in the first part of the book of Peter. How many things is in there? It's so deep. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.